0: Welcome to the Foundry Church podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, hey, hey. there I was. I was like, my, my jaw was on the ground. My eyes were like as big as a car. I didn't believe what I was hearing. As my boss, as my um, mentor type person was handing me a rifle and he said these words. He said, shoot, shovel, and then Andrew, you got to shut up. All right, those were the words he told me. I was working on a farm and we were having a problem with a bear getting into stuff. And so he handed me a rifle and he said, shoot, then take the shovel and shut up, All right? Have you ever heard that term? right? It's it's a way to keep secrets, and I didn't believe what I was hearing, but I knew what the job had to be done, um, because he was the boss, and he was telling me to do it. Luckily, I didn't find the bear, so I didn't have to manage that, but he did later. Shoot, shovel, and shut up, right? We've heard that. It's about keeping secrets, and another thing about secrets is is that we don't really want them to be known, right? That's kind of why they're their secrets, and one of the things that Christina and I like to do on Sunday mornings uh, is is look at postsecret.com. Has anyone ever been to that website or know what I'm talking about? All right, it's a it's a series of of art projects around the country. It's a website. Uh, it was created by a man named Frank Warren. He wanted to create a a safe place back in two thousand and five for people to share their secrets without anyone else knowing. And so he he created this place where where people could share, where people could could stay out of the, the known and and mail in their secrets right and he came up with this idea and he called it post secret and post secret like i said is an ongoing community uh, mail art project and the idea is that people can anonymously mail in their secrets on a uh, homemade postcard of some sort which in turn gets posted every Sunday either to their website or it gets added at uh, various art exhibits around the world, all right? around the, the, the country and around the entire world. And the secrets range from sexual sins to destructive habits to embarrassing habits. And people are allowed to share anything that they want as long as it is completely truthful. They just have to be truthful, and the concept in community has allowed people to be honest and vulnerable in ways they did not feel comfortable being in any other situation or with anyone else for that matter. Now, quick disclaimer, if you go to the website, postsecret.com, you may find some objectionable content, and we're not endorsing the site, it's just the concept. All right? it's, it's for people who have counseling degrees like Christina right? and, and Frank Warren. Right? And so this Frank Warren says that the postcards provide a, a first step in the healing process. Right? Not only for the people who write these postcards, but for the people who read them as well. Right? You can go buy the books of them in Barnes and Nobles. Right? Now, what about you? Right? Right? If you could fill out a post-secret card right now, would you?? And right? what would you say? You know, what would you confess to if you could fill that out? And, and no one would know, right? I mean there are all kinds of secrets. There are all kinds of things that are told to us in confidence, things that uh, were done to us, that we're ashamed of, that we don't want to be made known. Things that we've done or, or things that we've said or been a part of. And the, the kind of, of secrets that we want to focus on this morning that I want to kind of talk about today are the things that we have personally done that we are ashamed of. That we work hard to keep hidden. All right? we're, we're not talking about secret things done to us, but secrets surrounding our own sins right and we all we've all got them right things that we've we've done that we're just we're not proud of things that uh um, we just wish that nobody will find out about stories that we've told ourselves that that prevent us from exposing the things that we feel most embarrassed about and ashamed of, so we try to keep them hidden right we we we, we shoot and we, we uh we shovel them and we we just Shut up about them, right? right? We imagine uh, how people would react to us if they knew the, the whole truth. And so we convince ourselves with secrets that it's better if we just keep it to ourselves, right? That telling someone else about it is going to do more harm than good. And so we're just quiet. We shoot, we shovel, we shut up. Like getting rid of a bear on a farm. Right? We, may, we may have been uh, convincing ourselves that no one is being harmed uh, by keeping secrets or keeping our secrets. Uh, but listen, Foundry, here, here's the thing. What if it is harming someone? And what if that someone is you? Think about it, right? What if that someone is you, right? And here's the problem that is slapping us in the the face. We all have things we keep to ourselves. We just all have these secrets, right? It it could be our our thoughts, it could be our our actions, our feelings, our relationships, our, our behaviors, and we use a lot of energy, a lot of energy working to keep these things hidden, right? To keep them in the dirt. Covered, out of sight, out of mind, right? Sometimes we do this by constantly trying to manage our image, right? That's why our, our social media accounts are all polished and look perfect, right? right? We, we change the subject when the, the topic of conversation comes up that gets too close to the secret that we're hiding. And so we try to highlight our successes when others are around to kind of steer the conversation, Right? For others of us, we, we ignore it, and we think if we give it enough time, our, our secrets will just go away, right? disappear, vanish, right? right? It's the, the shoot, shovel and shut-up approach. We do the same thing with our secrets. Right? And some of us, uh, we've learned to compartmentalize uh, whatever it is that we're hiding. Right? We know we need to deal with it. We know we need to uh, address it, but it just seems like there's never a convenient opportunity to do it. Uh, a good time, or it's just always something we're going to get to, or do in the future. So we, we push it out of the corner of our mind, telling ourselves we'll, we'll come back to it a little bit later. Now listen, all those things work for some time. All right? They work for, for, for a time, right? Right? But ultimately, these are just uh, short-term solutions to a a very long-term problem. They do not change anything. They just don't. In fact, just trying to manage a secret, managing something that we don't want known, can create more stress than just deciding to let people in on it. Right? And the longer the secret managing goes on and on and on, the more complicated it becomes. We know this principle. Right? Things get increasingly harder to hide. And even though you may not be able to see it clearly, you are ultimately hurting yourself. Right? You're also hurting the people that you're, you're the closest to. Right? They don't know the real you. They just don't, right? They just know the facade that you're, you're putting up around your secret. But listen, just like our favorite infomercials, that is not all, folks. <laughs> right? right? The, the secrets we keep from other people weigh heavily on our relationship with God, too. With how we're forging our life on him. And that is a very real tension that we need to, we need to nip in the bud, right? right? Most of us, we do not like the, the dark, the messy, the, the grimy parts of ourselves. Right? And, and this, this, this may lead us to believe that we should not like ourselves because we have these dark, grimy, ugly parts of ourselves. And, and we assume that if we don't like ourselves, then God doesn't like ourselves for the same reason. But listen, Foundry Church, right? And, and hold tight to this because secrets are not a new thing, right? People have been dealing with them, these, these thoughts, these actions, these, these problems, these dark things for a very long time. They've been dealing with them forever. And David... The man that we've been talking about the last few weeks, a guy who was known for his leadership and who was known for his heart for God, had his fair share of secrets as well. All right, we've, we've spent the past few weeks uh, looking at his journey to the throne, and this week we're going to look at life once he became king. All right, look at how he was dealing with things as he was already on the throne and the secrets that he had while he was on the throne. The secrets that crippled him. And hopefully by, by looking at his story, we can prevent the things that happened to David from happening to us. All right. So let's peel this onion and let's jump in. All right? All right, during, during the time when David was king, During the time that we're going to be looking at today, the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel was often at war with just all the other nations around them. There wasn't much peace during his reign, and David usually went to battle, went to fight with his troops who were on the front lines, right? But in the passage that we're going to look at here in just a second, David decided to stay home, right? He decided to stay on his throne, to stay in the palace, and one evening while his men were away at battle, David was on the roof of his palace, and his attention was captured by a woman who was married to one of his soldiers, and the woman was named Bathsheba, and she was taking a bath on the top of her roof. Right? And so Bathsheba married right uh, her husband, Uriah, one of, of, of David's top soldiers, top generals, officers. Right? David became enamored with this woman. Right? And, and so he reacted on his impulse from seeing her taking this bath on her roof. And he sent for Bathsheba to come see him, and he slept with her. Now, not long afterwards, he learned that she was pregnant. Right? That, that's what happens, right? Right? At any point, David right, could have owned up to his mistake. At any moment, right, he, he could have confessed uh, the wrong committed against another man and his wife. But he had the same tendency that we all have when we mess up. He wanted to shoot and shovel and shut up. Right? He wanted to cover it up. Right, he, he, he shot and now he wants to shovel and he wants to shoot, shut up about it. And so he created a plan. Right, He and Uriah brought home from the battle in hopes that, that Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, would sleep with his wife and they could pass the baby off as his. But Uriah, wanting to honor the men that he was fighting with, the men who didn't get to come home and, and spend the an evening with their wives, he decided since he, he was, that his men weren't doing that, he was going to come and he was going to sleep on the floor in front of the front door. That he wasn't going to spend the evening with his wife. right? He didn't want to participate in a privilege that his soldiers didn't get to participate in, the soldiers that he left behind. And so David had to take the plan one step further and he had Uriah sent back to the front lines of the war, to the, the worst part of the fighting where he was going to be killed most likely. And then David, he sat back in his palace and he waited for the news he knew was coming. And it wasn't long before he got word Uriah was dead, right? And he was dead because David had ordered him to die. David had ordered him into that part of the battle, and that's where we're going to pick up today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, you can download the free Foundry Burke app. That little QR code on the back of the chairs will take you there. You download that at your favorite app store. Click the Bible tab, and it's right there for you. Or you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. Uh, those Bibles are for you to take. They're free for you to use, to give, to have, to use as invites. Um, so they're for you. And we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26 is where we're going to start. It says this. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Chances are, keep your finger there, we're going to be right back. Chances are, David thought now Uriah was out of the picture. Life could go on as usual. It could go on as, as normal, right? But, but Sheba has moved in. Everyone would continue business as usual, right? There may have been some whispers about the, the, the timing of everything and how everything happened, but David was the king. All right, so so really, what was going to happen? Right, no one was going to confront him or or question him, and he may have seemed like some uh, questionable circumstances or or opportunities or coincidences, but but no one was going to come and confront him with it. That's probably what he's thinking. Right, he, he thinks he's in the home clear, but here's the thing: God knew, right? Right, God knew, e- even if if nobody else did. God knew, right? And God did not care one ounce whether David was king or not. He was displeased, right? And then a prophet by the name of Nathan showed up at the palace, and he told David a rather unusual story. Let's look at it. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 12. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. He said one was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many of sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a a baby daughter. And then verse 4 says, One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. All right. David, like anybody that was listening to this story, would be, was mad. Right? If you heard this, just like anybody, right? David was mad. He was livid at the actions of this rich man. Right? This rich man had taken what was not rightfully his from this poor man who did not have nearly as much as he did. After hearing this story, David demanded that the rich man be put to death. And Nathan responds by saying this to David. The first part of verse 7 says this. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Right, that's, a, that's a mic drop, right? <laughs> you are. David's like, kill that guy. No, you're that man. All right, that's crazy. Right? All right, Foundry Church, can you imagine in that moment... Right in that moment for David, when when he started to connect the dots, right, he had been exposed. Right? He had been exposed. It was it was a moment of truth when his very own secret was was brought to the light, and he realized how how damaging what he had done truly was. Right. Bathsheba had never belonged to him, but he treated her like like. She was his property. And then he took the life of her husband so he could have what he wanted and not feel bad about it. Then David said to Nathan in the same chapter, chapter 12, verse 13, the very first part says this. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. Now, it could not have been comfortable, Right? It could not have been an easy thing to do. But David knew that in order to move forward, he had to acknowledge the reality of what he had done. David needed to confess in order to live his best life, a life that is forged on God. of, Of course, he would rather have hid or blamed his situation on someone else, maybe even justify his actions for, as being the king, like I can do what I want type of thing. Right? He could have got away with it, right? but David did not do that. He knew what had to be done, and God knew what had to be done, so David owned it. Right? He, he owned the situation. He, he brought his secret into the light, and that was the first step toward healing and toward a spiritual and emotional health and joy and peace that he was looking for, that we are all looking for when we are trying to live our best life, that life that is forged on God. And so through this process, listen, listen to what David goes on to say to God about this situation in Psalms chapter 51, one of my favorite sections of scripture. He says this, he writes this, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. And he's writing this after he, he, he's been confronted with this sin, with these with awful things he's done, and he's repenting in front of God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sins, he says. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night, he says. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. Verse 7, skip down to verse 7. It says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. He says, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy, he says. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Verse 12, one of my favorite sections of Scripture says Restore to me the joy of your salvation and making me willing to obey you. Look, we cannot hide our sin. Right, We just can't hide it. We may for, for a while hide it from others, but even that comes at a cost, but we can never hide it from God. Right? That does not mean that God is, is just waiting around a corner to, to, to catch us and accuse us, to wave a, a finger in our face. It means that God knows, knows that secrets that we keep Right, the, 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 the secret sins that we don't want anyone to know about, it, it keeps us from something. It keeps us from this. Take a look. It keeps us from health. It keeps us from, from, from having health and joy and peace and all of these great things. And the sooner we confess and the sooner that we acknowledge where we went wrong, where we missed the mark, the sooner we'll be headed in the right direction. All right, listen, listen, Foundry Church, right? In David's story, God used a prophet, right? He used Nathan, who was a trusted friend, to bring David's secret into the light. And as soon as David was able to see more clearly what he had done wrong, right, as soon as he was able to see that, and as soon as he saw in the light of God and how God viewed it, David began to experience the power of confession and the, the health that that brings, right? His, his journey of healing began, right? Take a, take a look. The, the whole point of this section of story is this. Hiding in the dark, shooting, shoveling, and shutting up, right? Hiding in the dark, our secrets, our, our thoughts, whatever, our actions, hiding in the dark hurts. It hurts, but being in the light, being in the truth, forging our life on God, heals. It heals. It helps. It, it builds. It, it just builds up. It, it soothes, right? Right now, now, I want you to lean in, Foundry Church. I want you to listen, because in, in David's situation, it took the uh, intervention of a friend to reveal the truth, right? But that does not need to be the way that your story plays out. Yours might play out a little bit differently, right? You have the power to make the first move, right? And that's what's, that's what's exciting. How freeing would it be for you to, to confess first, right? Before you're found out or even, even called out, Right? Right? God knows and he sees everything. He loves you anyways. Right? Right? He's not out to get us. He's out to heal us, to build us up, to, to soothe us, to, to, to forge us, right? to make us whole. And God knows that genuine confession leads to a genuine change and a genuine life. It is a part of living our best life, a life that is forged on God, right? What would it look like? Think about this, right? What would it look like to bring that sin that you've kept secret into light, right? How do you start that process of coming out of hiding and into healing? How do we start that process? Well, here are a few things to keep in mind. Right first, you got to do this. God, uh, recognize this. God already knows your sin. Right? He already knows it, but he's waiting for you to confess it to him. Right? He's not going to be surprised by it. Right? But he knows that you will not get healthy until you face the things that you've tried to keep hidden. Right? It's more about you than it is about him. When, when we confess, and then second, take a look, right? You don't need to tell everyone, but you do need to tell someone. And I know that's scary, right? It's a little scary, right? When you, we are able to verbally share our secret with someone else, bringing it out of hiding, our secret loses some of its power. right? Nathan, Nathan was a trusted friend of David. David knew that Nathan had his back. That they could, they could step up to the table together. That they, they could do life together. They could have tough conversations and still be all right. And that's what they did. right? Who is your trusted friend for you? right? Who can you step up to the table with and share with? Find a person who can help you in this process of healing. I have a, a coach and a mentor named Brian. He's that person for me. I have I have I have I have a lot of close friends but only but only, only two of them I would share stuff with. All right? Clint and Tyler. And Brad a little bit. Alright? <laughs> right? I, have, I have these people in my life. I have to have these people in my life. We all have to have these people in our life. Find the person that can help you in a process of healing. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as as they do, let me say this. And we're not quite done yet. We're still going to talk about Baptism Sunday. But like David, you have the opportunity to go from hiding to healing. We have the opportunity to go from hiding to healing, right? And we are so used to hiding, it's easy to convince ourselves that it's not that bad. Right? That it's just not that bad, but it is. We're, we are selling ourselves short from the life that God wants us to live when we don't live in the light, when we don't live in the truth, when we, don't, uh, we just keep secrets and we lie. Our best life, a life that is forged on God, right, is the light. Right? God, God is not waiting for you to confess so he can shake his finger at you. Or turn his back on you in judgment he is waiting for you to confess because he knows the freedom that there is and what comes from it the health right consider bringing your secrets into light and inviting a trusted person into that process with you right like david you can experience god's healing through the avenue of other people That's why we have the iron council for the men. That's why the women get together and have studies and pray for each other. And that's why we have meals outside together to fellowship and to get to know each other, to, to step up to the table together. Remember, hiding in the dark hurts, being in the light heals. Let's hold on to that as we continue to worship here with this next song. Let's stand together. That song, right? Talking about the, uh, the parable where Jesus is, is, is teaching and he, he, he's sharing and he's saying, uh, there's nothing that our God won't do, right? He'll leave the 99, the ones that are in the fold that are safe for you. That's how much he wants to have a relationship with you. He's almost reckless about it. All right, climbing over cliffs, looking for that one that he doesn't have in the fold yet. That's what he's looking for, and that's what that song's about, and that's what, we're, that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're preparing to celebrate next Sunday. Listen, little confession from me. All right, when that guy told me, my boss, all right, go find that bear. I didn't find the bear, but I did find a porcupine. Right. all right. And he wanted me to shoot the porcupine if I found the porcupine, all right? I'm thinking my boss was kind of bad for me, <laughs> but um, he had a maple tree farm. He had a maple tree part of his farm where you make maple syrup, and porcupines are bad for the, those trees and for his crop. And so I, I did shoot the porcupine. I wanted to confess that, because I've never told anyone that, except for maybe Christina, all right? Well, listen. I just left it I was too sad (laughs) all right and it's a porcupine I did not want to touch it (laughs) well listen it's a process and I know that talking about secrets and repentance and confession is it's just a hard topic no one no one wants a flashlight on that stuff right it's not a lot of jokes I can weave into a sermon on that right it's health though, soul giving health. And listen, Jesus, after he died and then he came back to life and before he, he went back into heaven, right? He, he was with his disciples. And this is the beginning of all of this process. And repentance is a piece of that. Confession is a piece of that, right? He gave us the great commission. Right? He gave us the great commission. He said to all those who have forged their life on God, all those who are going to forge their life on God, including us here today. He said, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey these commandments." Right? That's what he's given us. This is the last words. Right? This great commission. It's what we're supposed to do. It's it's our mission. Right? To to forge our life, to guide people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Right? That's how we fulfilled the Great Commission. Right, It's founded in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Right? Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's our Lord's last words to us. And this is how this all works as we prepare for Baptism Sunday. Right? The first action in all of this is to hear the story of God. That's the gospel. Right? The, the, the story of God. We've got to hear it. Right? And the story goes like this. There's us and there's God. There's us and there's God. God wanted us to live in community with him for all of eternity. Just a beautiful, beautiful, powerful, contagious community for all of eternity. He created us to have a relationship with him, us and God us and God, right? To live our best life, that life that is forged on him, a wonderful and a very powerful life, a life in community with him. That's the start of the gospel, the start of the story of Jesus. But the problem is, is that the Bible tells us that the first human beings, uh, the first couple, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, right? And now the, the Bible calls this the sin or the fall. And what it is, it's separation from God, right? Sin, it literally means missing the mark. It is an archery term. That's the root of the word. It means that you had a bow, you had an arrow, and instead of hitting the target, let alone the bullseye, you shot it in the mud way over here, right? You hit the car driving by, all right? That's what sin means. You missed the mark. You pulled back your bow, you aimed your arrow, and your arrow went way over here, Alright, That's the word, right? That's what sin means. And you miss the bullseye. <coughs> Excuse me. And the bullseye for us, mankind, is God, right? It's that relationship, that co- community, forging our life on him, living out that great commission and the great commandment to love God and to love other people. And so when this happened, when Adam and Eve missed the bullseye for the very first time as mankind and sinned, it created a separation between mankind and God. It, it created a separation between us and God, right? And this separation exists not because God hates us or because he's, he's mad at us. It's just that God is perfect and he doesn't miss the bullseye, right? He, he, he aims and he hits the target every time, right? He, he cannot sin, he cannot miss, right? He, he's perfect and to be honest, would we want to forge our, God, our life on a God who does miss the mark? No, right? Absolutely not, right? And so the gospel, the story of God, it continues. Every human being since Adam and Eve has disobeyed God. <coughs> and most of us, we are aware of the separation and the mistakes that we've made. So we assume that we can make it better. And so we try to do things uh, to get back to God, to kind of close that gap, right? All right, We, we think, man, I'm, I'm just going to try to restore my, my relationship with God, right? But the Bible tells us that there's nothing that we can do to close the gap. We just can't say, hey, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to stop cussing, or I'm going to stop doing this, or I'm starting to stop doing that, or I'm just going to repay the money that I took, or I'm going to stop sleeping around with this person, right? That's not how it works. That's just not how it works, right? It, it, you can't even build a, a, like a bridge that far, right? You, we just can't do it, right? In Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says this, for all have sinned, all have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter what we do, we're gonna fall down that. We can't get across the gap. And in fact, we have made the gap bigger. And I get it, it stinks, you think I- I've made that gap bigger? Yes, we all have. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed the mark. We've all missed the bullseye. And it's a big bummer. It stinks. It really, really stinks, but it gets even worse, right? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin, because we added to the gap by missing the mark, shooting our arrow anywhere but the bullseye, is death. Right, because of the separation that we have added between us and God, right? We should be sent to death row. That's what the Bible says, right? For the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God, eternal life in hell, away from God. A life on the wrong side of the gap. Stinks. All right? And I hate to admit this, but but it is the truth. i got to share it with you. All right? And again, I, I get it. This whole thing just really, really, really not good. But listen, it doesn't stop here. This is not the end. God, our God. The creator of the universe wants us to be free from hell, free from that eternal separation, right? He wants us to be in that community that he created us for, in that relationship with him that he created us to be in with. And this is where it gets good. This is where it gets really, really good, Foundry Church. Really, really, really good. And I really, really, really love this. Because he wants to live with us for all of eternity. He wants us to be free to do that. And so what he does is he provides a way for us to restore our relationship to him to close the gap, right? God wants us so bad to be free to forge a life on him that he became human in Jesus, God the Son, and he died on the cross for us. He paid the penalty, right? He went to death row in our place for each and every one of you, for all of us. Like we sang about, he left the 99, he did the reckless thing, and he went to the cross for you. He paid the penalty that we could not pay. He crossed the the impossible gap of separation that we could not cross. Jesus died in our place. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, for us missing the bullseye. And look at what the cross does, right? The cross is the bridge that gets us across, and it restores our relationship with God. It blocks out hell, that eternal uh, gap, that eternal separation from him to what it does now let me be honest again right it's not enough just to know this right we can't have it just up here in our heads right we got to have it down in our hearts we got to get it down in our guts Right, we gotta we gotta own it. We gotta we gotta get it down here, and that is what free will is. Right, we gotta get it down here. We gotta own it. We gotta make it a part of our life, and we do that by responding with some action. Right, we we heard the gospel. That's what those slides are. Right, we heard the gospel. This story of separation and, and Jesus the co- coming closing the gap by his death on the cross, and then we have to believe it. You have to believe it. Right. John chapter 3, verse 16, like we sang in the very first song this morning, says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So we heard it. We believe it. Right? And then the Bible tells us to repent and confess, like we talked about with David. Right? Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. The the same thing that David wrote about in, in Psalms chapter 51 that we read. Blotted clean, right? Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Repent from the separation that we made. Repent from the dirt that we got on us because we missed the mark and we shot our arrow in the mud, not at the bullseye. Repent just like the story of David. Tell God and and tell someone else. Repenting is saying, God, I've been doing things my way and now I want to do things your way. It is confessing that you cannot live your best life on your own, that, that you have to live a life forged on God. You repent from your old way of living, adding to the gap by by missing the mark, and you confess that you want Jesus to be your Lord and live his way of life. That you want his salvation. you want to own it. You want to experience his grace and his truth daily. And, And you do that And then you get to do something amazing. What it says in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 38, and that's baptism where it says, each of you must repent of your sins and you turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's just a life of action. No matter where we are on this process, on this loop, a life forged. It's not just something fun or something to do at our own convenience or... or at our own timing. It's a commitment. It's not just a chance to go swimming at church or, or whatever, like baptism, right? Baptism. We're talking about a chance and in these different steps, right? To to meet Jesus in the tomb of water and to come alive to a new life and to say, I believe and I will live my life forged on God. I will live for God and God alone for not just the rest of my time here on earth, but for all of eternity. I will live with him in heaven. It is by grace that we are saved by, it is by grace we are saved by faith. Listen, It's like this, if I told everyone to show up here tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., everybody, in fact, you can bring your friends, bring everybody you know, show up here at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning into the parking lot and I'm gonna hand you a set of keys to your dream car. It could be like an old Mustang from the 60s, all, you know, restored perfectly, right? It could be the one that Tom Selleck drives, right? It could be this like crazy cool restored car, or it could be like a brand new Lamborghini. Whatever it is, you show up at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'm gonna flip you the keys and it's yours. And in fact, the tank's gonna be full and every time you need gas, you just come by, I'm gonna fill it up, right? There's gonna be no taxes on it, whatever, it's yours. Bring your friends, right? If you, if you scratch up in the, on the parkway or something, don't, don't worry, bring it by, it's fixed, right? That's what we're talking about. Right? Now, a lot of us, there's nothing you can do to deserve that car, right? You can say, Andrew, I'm going to bake you some cookies. I'm going to give you some money for the car. No. It's yours. That's a gift of salvation. It's a gift of grace. That's what Jesus is talking about. Right now, real quick, because we are doing Baptism Sunday next Sunday. A lot of us have questions about baptism. I'm like, why? Why? Well, there's a few reasons, right? One is that Jesus modeled it. Jesus was baptized, right? He heard, obviously, right? He knew the gospel. He believed the gospel, right? He he, he wanted, you know, Jesus, God, you know, himself, you know, right. When we make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of our life, he is our model and example in everything we do. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, it talks about how Jesus went to John the Baptist to be baptized. Now John, however, he he balked at the idea of doing such a thing, saying that, that Jesus should instead be baptizing him. So Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this and to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said it was the proper thing to do, and so he did it. Right, John baptized Jesus and immediately afterward, God expressed how pleased he was with Jesus' actions. Jesus said it was the right thing to do, and then he followed through with action. That's one reason why baptism is why we're doing this next Sunday. Uh, a second reason. Jesus commanded it. Right after Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension into heaven, like we said, right, Jesus left final instructions to his followers in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations because all authority has been given to me. Right? Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Right? Baptism it was not separated from the command to obey all his teachings. It wasn't a, a good work to be done later at a new uh, Christian's convenience, just when you feel like you're, you know, like enough right now, like I believe, but eh, I'll wait. Right? It, it was meant to you know, do it, do it, right? It's part of that obey all his teachings. It's, it was meant to be done immediately as a mark of the beginning point of a person's spiritual journey. And then a third reason, the early church obeyed Jesus. Right? The, the book of Acts, every single time someone became a Christian, they were immediately baptized as a part of the conversion experience, Acts gives us an historical account of the beginnings of the early church, It's the teaching and the preaching about Jesus. It's, it's congregations being started. It's, it's evangelistic efforts and groups of people were being baptized. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, When they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. In in Acts chapter 9, it talks about Paul's baptism, and it says immediately something fell like calluses from Saul's eyes when he believed, and he could see again, and he got up and he was baptized. Cornelius, a centurion, a Roman soldier, was baptized in chapter 10 of Acts. Right, Lydia and her entire household in Acts chapter 16, the, the Philippian jailer in his household later on in Acts chapter 16. Now another reason, right? Baptism publicly communicates our belief in Jesus to others. Now although it may seem intimidating, it's one of the most meaningful experiences that you've ever been a part of. When you are baptized, you are demonstrating right, the change that is happening inside of you. Right, your baptism says that you've made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life and that he is in control. You are now giving, uh, you're going to live your life his way for him and for his honor and not your way. You're going to forge your life on him and not on your own power. Right, that's the, the physical act of baptism that identifies you with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. You are, you're dying to your old way of life. You're burying that old life. You're rising to new life. The outward expression of a baptism shows a changed life. Now, another question that we get a lot is the biblical method of baptism. And what is that? It's immersion. Let me explain, all right? All right? Immersion means to dip, plunge, or to submerge completely underwater. Knowing that many of us come from traditions where we were sprinkled, how can we be sure that immersion is the way that someone should be baptized? There are a, are a few reasons that we know immersion was a form of baptism that's taught in the Bible. The first is, is there's no record of any person in the New Testament being sprinkled. Right, the, the word baptism in the original Greek means immersion. It's the Greek word baptizdo. Which means completely submerged, to dip completely underwater. It's the same word for dipping garments into dye. It's the same word for, for if you were in a naval battle and you shot your cannon and you sunk a ship to Davy Jones' locker. It's the same word, right? You, you baptizoed that ship, it's completely underwater. Right now, number three, right? Another reason that we know that immersion is what's taught in scripture is that Christian leaders of other denominations throughout church history who sprinkle infants even today believe the biblical form of baptism was immersion. Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran church, wrote this He said, I would have those who are to be baptized to be completely immersed, immersed as the word imparts. John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian church, says the word baptize signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient and early church of the book of Acts. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church, wrote buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first church. The current Catholic dictionary that's out says this, in apostolic times, the body of the baptized person was immersed. Immersed for St. Paul looks on the immersion as typifying the burial of Christ and speaks of baptism as a complete bath. Now, as the band comes back up and as we conclude, I know that many of us have the question what if I was baptized as a baby? They sprinkled me. And those hear me when I say this. All right? That is awesome. That is an amazing, amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing, right? But the thing that we've been talking about, right, is that there's a point where we have to own it for ourselves, for ourselves as individuals, right? When when people were baptized in the Bible, it was always by immersion. We recognize that many have been sprinkled, uh, many of us have been sprinkled as children or adults, and we want you to be grateful for the foundation that our parents laid for us when they did that. Right? Baptism by, by immersion doesn't invalidate the importance of what our parents did for us. It's simply the next step in our spiritual journey. In immersion, Baptism Sunday, is a decision we make for ourselves. And that's what we're doing next Sunday. All right? So there's cards in your chair if you haven't been baptized or you would like to be baptized. You Click that, you bring it up to me after the service. I'll be up here if you got questions. All right. If you're watching online, you go to the app, it's all right there. The same card. It is a party. All right. And we have confetti cannons going off. We sing and we hug. There's usually cupcakes, <laughs> it's a party part of the process. We hear, we believe, we repent, we confess, and we party like it says in heaven when someone is baptized. So that's what we're doing next Sunday. If you got questions, let me know. Fill that sheet out. Let's stand and worship with one more song.